Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hi, this is Michelle Tillis Letterman, author of The Connector's Advantage. And if you want to get known, get connected, and get ahead, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing interview here on the Build Your Network Podcast. Today, I get to chat with Michelle Letterman. Michelle is an accomplished speaker, trainer, coach, and author of four books, including the internally recognized The 11 Laws of Likeability. She was named by Forbes as one of the top 25 professional networking experts to watch. So as soon as her name came across my desk, I obviously had to get her here on the Build Your Network Podcast. So she recently, however, came out with a new book, called The Connector's Advantage. And so that's one of the things that we talk about in this episode. We also talk about the truth behind having kids. We talk about the difference between just networking and being a connector. And we talk about the importance of having a clear ask when you are in a networking situation. So um, so much gold and, and really just practicality in this episode. I can't wait to get into it. But before we do, I want to let you all know that I recently opened a few VIP day slots in my calendar. If podcasting or networking are on the top of your priority list this year, this is the most valuable investment that I have available. Um, you're actually going to fly out here to Vegas and spend an entire day with me 
um, helping you either launch your podcast or build a foolproof networking strategy for you for the rest of the year. The whole experience is catered to you. Plus, I give VIP day guests access to a few key people in my network. Um, this is like really one of the most valuable things that I do, I promise. So since opening it up really recently, the four spots that I opened sold out. So now I'm opening it up again to four more people while I have the time available. And one of those four has already been taken. So if you're interested in this experience at all, head over to travischapelcom slash coaching to apply. And hopefully I will see you out here in Vegas really soon. And now here is my talk with Michelle Letterman. Michelle, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here. So I want to kind of go back here. Uh, this is something I always do at the beginning of the interview and just put a little bit of context for anybody listening to this. I can't wait to get into some really good networking conversation here with you because I know that's your main topic that you like to talk about and it is mine as well. So before we do that, tell me what it was kind of like growing up as little Michelle. <laughs> And, and the fact that you say little Michelle is so appropriate because I always was really little and I still am. I'm four foot 10 and a quarter. <laughs> so actually very little. <laughs> yeah. Very little. And, but I didn't know I was little. So it was really interesting when I would go back and look at pictures. I never felt that way. I knew it because I was also younger. So my mother pushed me ahead in school and I figured, oh, well, I'm shorter because you know, I'm younger. So little Michelle is, um, <laughs> is somebody who was very polarizing, I would say. Okay. Polarizing in what way? You loved me or you hated me. Gotcha. So why do you say that? Like, what's the main reason that you say that? Was that like something that you're, that other people described you as, or is that just something that you're looking back on and you're like, man, I was a little polarizing. I was like, it was something I didn't recognize at the time at all. And it was as I got older that I started to see that people had strong reactions to me. And when you're little, you tend to have a really big personality to offset your size. Hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's actually what led to some of my work was because I wanted to understand what I was doing that got such a strong reaction. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Like what was your main, what was your, you know, career day choice when you were in high school and stuff? So one of the things I don't usually put into my bio is that I'm a recovering CPA. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. It's just because you love accounting so much or? Um, I, I apparently am a natural at it. I was photographic for numbers and I was always told I was highly analytical and it just made sense to me. And when you say, what did you want to be when you grow up? I, my first thought was financially stable. So not necessarily a career, just like I want to be financially stable. <laughs> that's, what, that's my goal. You know, when you, when you grow up without and you kind of feel, feel that fear, that drives your decision-making. And it was what career that I'm good at will lead me to security. And so I wanted the corner office, power suit, mom that did it all and had it all. And, and actually, if you go back about 15 to 20 years, I had a corner office looking over the stock exchange on Wall Street. Oh, wow. So you actually did achieve what you, were try what you set out to achieve then? Yes. And it felt like there was bars on the windows. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, which is eventually what led to you going away from that, I assume. But before we get into that, let's go back into something that you said a little bit earlier, which was when you grow up without, it changes the way that you desire things moving forward. Can you kind of explain a little bit what you mean by that? Can you expound on that? Like if you think that that's a positive thing or a negative thing for people to experience? I think it's something people need to be aware of. It can be positive and it can be negative. And back in the day, I did some career coaching and I actually wrote a blog on this. I 
that just popped back up into to the feed that people used to want to get advice on, on resumes and cover letters and interviews. And I could do all that. But when they would really want is me to tell them what they should do with their life. And I'm thinking, you know how long it took me to figure that out? <laughs> so I feel like people make decisions based on an anecdote to something that's missing in their life. Whether it's this boyfriend wasn't this way, so the next one's going to be that way. <laughs> Whatever we do, it's we're always trying to fix something that wasn't working. And I actually try to shift the way people think about their decisions rather than saying, okay, here's the lifestyle I need, which was my first thing. And here's what I'm good at, which was my second thing. And I never got to that third thing, which is what do I love? I want people to switch the order of that and say, well, what do I love? And what, do I, what am I good at that would enable doing something with what I love? And then, then let me use that lifestyle as a filter. Would, would your advice be the same regardless of the age of the person that you're talking to in that regard? Sure. Absolutely. So somebody coming out of high school, if they're like, hey, I'm trying to decide if I want to go this route and just go directly into the work field, or I want to, you know, maybe go to college, or I want to start a business, or like, if they've never experienced a work life or a career or anything, your advice would basically be the same exact thing. Hey, sit down, figure out what you love, figure out what you're good at, uh, what you have natural tendency towards and see where those lines intersect, and then probably pursue something around that field. I would tweak it a little bit more because sometimes we're good at things that we don't enjoy doing. I was really good at accounting. <laughs> this episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters. Is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Wait, you're telling me you didn't enjoy accounting? But I no, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't quite a fit there. So I would actually when you think about what you're good at, think about what you're good at that you enjoy using those skills because we're good at a lot of things. And if you're not good at something, but it's something you want to develop, I don't want you to just 
pigeonhole yourself. But yes, I would tell somebody at any age. And what I would also say is you don't have to know right now. And that's also at any age. I don't regret the decade I spent in finance. I think it was all a journey. I would not have the credibility that I have now standing in front of an audience talking about management and leadership had I not been managing people at the age of 22. How did you start managing people at the age of 22? <laughs> well, as I said, I started school a little early. So I graduated college at 21. And when you're in, I worked for Arthur Anderson, which people might not even know of anymore because it is now defunct. But I worked at one of the, what are we down to four? Big four accounting firms. I think there were six at the time. And you have a whole class. And then you very quickly, every year you're promoted. And so by year two, I had people reporting to me on audits. And I was a senior uh, I don't even know what they called it. I think I was just called a senior. And I had somebody reporting to me that was 10 years older than me. What do you do in that situation? When you, if you find yourself as a younger person leading a bunch of people who are older than you, what would be your best advice for somebody in that situation? <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I did. And that's actually what I do now is I tell people, I teach all the mistakes I ever made. I actually tell people, there's all these situations that we're in, whether it's I'm now the boss of my friend, or I'm managing somebody who's older than me or has been here longer. Partner. If you think about everything as a partnership and understanding what somebody else's goals, objectives, motivations, interests are, and how you can serve them as well as serve the goal of the organization and the, the role, then you're serving everyone. Gotcha. Gotcha. So coming out of college, you get this job at the at this accounting firm, start getting some immediate success and leadership roles and uh, responsibilities thrown at you. What did you do over the next decade? Like what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned in that corporate world? <laughs> so I was the only woman on a trading floor. I was the only woman on a global venture capital team. It was a really interesting time. When I started working, there was no written rule that we couldn't wear pants, but it, it was not suggested that we wear pants. That's, you know, I'm really dating myself. And you just saw me. <laughs> I was going to say, so what year was this? But then I was like, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't ask that. <laughs> but yeah, a, a little ways back. Yeah, we're talking about the 90s, right? Okay, gotcha. It's not that long ago. Right, right. It really wasn't. No red nail polish. I mean, now if you saw my nails, I've got the um, yin-yangs on my nails. <laughs> it was very different of, you know, how you had to act in a certain environment and, and communication was, was poor, including my own. One of the lessons I learned was how to give effective feedback. And I learned that when I made a boy cry. <laughs> oh, really? Like somebody that worked for you or above you or? He worked for me and you give your review at the end of each audit and he was on my team and he was not a great auditor. And I gave his feedback. He did not meet expectations. I told him why and I prayed he'd never be on my audit again. Very next assignment, he's on my team again. And I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really help him figure this out and try to coach and teach and do all this stuff. And it just didn't work. And so I was very self-focused and I was very frustrated that he was bringing my audit down and it was making us inefficient. And so I was taking it all really personally. And in the review, I gave him a does not meet expectations again, and, and he started to cry. And I thought, I thought, oh my God, I did something wrong here. That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> Looking back, do you feel like you did do something wrong or do you feel oh, like- absolutely. Okay. Gotcha. Absolutely. What do you think that was? But I, I figured out very quickly. So um, the first thing, if you're ever in a situation where you're like, you know, uh, you know, heart and throat, I just 
screwed up, the first thing I did is help somebody else save face. And so I said, I'm going to leave the room and give you a moment to compose yourself. But I also left to compose myself and to collect my thoughts and recognize look, like that wasn't good. And so I came back in and I, and I said to him, I said, you know, I did you a disservice. And I acknowledged and owned and took accountability for my mistake in the conversation. And I think that's the second thing I would tell people to do. First, say face. And second is own your piece. And so I said, I only focused on the things that weren't working. And here's what I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you that the client loved you. I didn't tell you that you were able to get things faster than anybody else on the team from the client who doesn't want the auditor to be there. They don't like us. <laughs> we create work for them. <laughs> yeah. But they liked him. I'm like, I didn't tell you that I admire and respect your work ethic and the fact that you came to work every day with a smile and a desire to do well. And I told him all this stuff that I didn't tell him the first time and all of it was true. And so what I learned is that there's always good, even when there's bad, and that if you start with the good, then people are open to hearing the possibility of improvement. Yeah, I love that so much. So when you, when you found yourself in this situation at a big four firm and t- taking on leadership responsibilities at such a young age and being, like, like you said, the only female in that entire you know, division or section or whatever, um, you, whatever you called it back then, what were some of the things that you did to be that person to stand out and to get opportunities where most women were not seeing opportunities? Well, I will say this job, there was plenty of women, but there was only one woman at the top. That was really interesting. And it was, this is actually a lot of what, it's, it's interesting that we're going here because a lot of what you're talking about has really influenced the mindsets that I share in the book that we'll talk about a little later. But the idea that there was only one woman at the top made the women lower down not necessarily be supportive of each other. So I don't know, to answer your question, I don't know what it was that I did. I think that we all show up in a certain way. And I think when, what's that phrase is, uh, you know, poor, hungry, and something, you know, (laughs) when you are scrappy and when you have had to really fight for everything, um, there's a certain drive and ethic and grit. Yeah. And I brought that and I was like, there was no, there was no slowing down. (laughs) Hey, what's up fellow and future networkers want to listen to build your network a day early Download the Himalaya app and follow the show for exclusive first access. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters, aka me, some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free. It's the easiest platform to use, and they're adding cool new features every single day. So go to the app store, download Himalaya. That's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A and don't forget to follow Build Your Network once you're there. So at what point did you realize that your career was coming to an end, not because of anything that they were doing, but because you just on the inside felt like you should be doing something more or living up to true potential or doing something you enjoyed? At what point in your career did that thought start creeping in? And how long after that did it take you to finally put in your two weeks and actually get out of there? Oh, you're getting all my secrets. <laughs> That's my job. Well, you know, I probably started thinking about it while I was at that first job and I was there maybe three years. And I actually started taking classes in biology because I'm scientifically illiterate, but I love animals and I wanted to study animal behavior and animal science. And so I started taking classes and writing to grad schools and I took my GREs and I got like 
be top scores on them. And I researched the fields and I realized I would make half as much five years later that I was making right then. And I was like, yeah, I can't do that. Going back to I, you know, what I wanted to be was financially secure. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to go to business school, make a lot of money and donate my time and energy to animal causes, which is actually what I ended up doing. Yes, I love that. But before we move on here, that I love that so much because there's this fine line between doing doing something that you love that doesn't make you any money and doing something that you don't love that does make you money. And uh, I find it super interesting that you like went through all the trouble and work of like actually getting this, you know, education, certification, all these different things and in, in something that you really loved and then getting out and realizing that like, oh, wow, like this is actually going to cost me a good amount of money and I like being financial financial secure and there's nothing wrong with financially secure. So what do I do now? You know what? I'm going to go the business direction, make a bunch of money doing something that I like and then spending my free time and money and energy doing something that I absolutely love. I love that that was like the evolution of where your career ended up guiding you to now what you do today. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to serve that need that you have or that passion that you have. And sometimes it can be how you make money and sometimes it's not. And the other thing I always wanted when I was a kid, in sixth grade, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Mrs. Norma Green was my teacher and she had the word of the day. And to this day, I remember the first word was tangible and the second one was intangible the third was gregarious and gregarious has been like my you know my my name tag ever since and I just fell in love with teaching but again didn't want the financial implications of being a teacher and so there's a lot of ways to what I say design your ideal and I am a teacher now I teach adults I might even teach some college. Actually, I taught at NYU for seven years. You find ways to fulfill the needs that you have in the way in which you live and still do something that's passionate to you. Yeah, I love that. Love that. So now you have a new book out that, that's coming out here really soon. Can you tell us about where that came about in the whole process? So, you know, as I was saying, the idea of being polarizing is what really motivated my first book, which is called The 11 Laws of Likeability. And the new book, The Connector's Advantage, is a follow-up to that book. So in the likability book, I'm talking about relationship networking and what you do before, during, and after a conversation, what, you know, how connection forms and, and what makes uh, somebody likable to somebody else. And, and so it was really kind of understanding those drivers of likability and the fact that you can't make anybody like you. And so my brother-in-law walks into my office as I'm writing this, this new book and he goes, well, I don't understand what's the difference between these books. You know, what's the difference between networking and being a connector? And I said, well, networking is something that you do but a connector is someone that you are. Yeah, can you expound on that a little bit? And then I got really excited and said, you just gave me the last line of the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what I talk about in The Connector's Advantage is there are certain ways of thinking and acting that a connector infuses into their interactions that gets results faster, easier, better. And that's not good grammar, but faster, easier, better is the advantage of being relationship-based in the way in which you interact with people. So being a connector is a way of thinking and doing. And I talk about the seven mindsets that really contribute to being a connector. And I bet when I share those mindsets with you, you're going to just start nodding because every time I talk to somebody who is relationship-based, which you are, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that, that describes me. You know, like that, that is it. So I, um, I did some research and I actually put a whole survey out about two years ago trying to really understand what these attributes and what these behaviors are. And my goal is for people to recognize that one, there's a spectrum. It's not that you're not a connector, you are. There's an entire spectrum and you live somewhere on that spectrum and you might be where you need to be and you might want to kind of keep moving up. But anybody can infuse these attributes, mindsets and behaviors into their interactions to, to get that advantage. 
What are a few of those uh, seven values? All right, let's see if I can do them in order. <laughs> I'm ready to start nodding, so let's let's hear them. Okay, so, and, and again, these mindsets are not in, I'll give you the order that I write them in, but they're not linear. It's not like you have to do one to do the next. They enable each other. And the first one is that connectors are open and accepting. They have a clear vision. They believe in abundance. Connectors trust. They're social and curious. They're conscientious, and they have a generous spirit. You're, to, you're totally right. I was definitely nodding the whole time. <laughs> Like, yes, that's true. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a couple that people challenge me on. Usually um, the clear vision and the conscientious are the ones that surprise people until we talk about them a little bit. Yeah. What Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by clear vision? So having a clear vision, a connector knows what they want. They know what they're working on and they're willing to ask for help to get there. And that's, that's what I always say is if you want to be a connector, have a clear vision, know what you want and know how to ask for it. If you want to get that advantage... It isn't just about, isn't just about the other person. Being a connector, it's not about them and it's not about you. It's about the interaction. It's about the relationship. It's about the connection. The reciprocity. You know, I struggle with the word reciprocity. The 11 laws of likability, one of the laws is the law of giving. And it was originally, the chapter was originally called the law of reciprocity. And I changed it because it felt like that quid pro quo. It felt like that you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And that's not what I'm... Felt like being a matcher instead of a giver. Yeah, it's not an exchange and it's not keeping track. It's give because you can, give because you want to, give without the expectation of return. And when we talk about reciprocity, it implies that expectation. And I want to remove that expectation. So I really talk about the spirit of generosity and just... Also, when you have a clear vision, you enable others to be in that same spirit. Because if you're not willing to ask, you don't give somebody else the opportunity to feel valuable and to give. Yeah, I love that. It's so, for me, it's, it's so um, fortuitous, I guess you could say, because I have, I have a background in door-to-door -door sales, which is all about the ask, right? It's turning cold prospects that you never previously knew into paying customers within 30 minutes to an hour of meeting them. But now I have a podcast that's all about networking and how to give without expecting anything in return. So they're, they seem like they butt heads, but that's one thing that, that a lot of people, I think, don't get this one part that you're, that you're talking about having the clear vision, having a clear ask. Um, and something that a mutual friend of ours, Jordan Harbinger talks about a lot is knowing what your ask is, because like you said, it is a relationship. Like, yes, you want to ABG, you want to always be giving and you want to give without the expectation of receiving anything in return. But if you're also not willing to ask for what you want in life, then you can't be upset or expect that it's going to happen for you automatically. And so, yeah, I, I love that you spend time talking about this thing because I feel like a lot of people who talk about um, networking and stuff like that, they are not the askers. They feel uncomfortable with the ask because they feel like they're trying to get something out of somebody and it makes them feel like kind of spammy or whatever. Did you experience that when you were like really putting some of this together or have you always been like a little, little bit more comfortable than most people for asking for what you want? Oh no, I totally forget to ask. <laughs> I it's not even that I'm uncomfortable with it. I forget that I can. Yeah. It's just like not natural. Like you have to think about it. I feel so good being the giver. I feel being a giver is not so altruistic. It feels great to feel valuable, to be able to help somebody. And it makes you feel worthwhile and worthy of the relationship. 
So I am conscious of making sure that I can make those opportunities available to other people. And I've gotten better at it, but it becomes a practice. So that's actually how I made it onto your show. I, you know, I've known Jordan for years and we've helped each other over the years and done things together. And he was in New York. We finally actually met in person. It was awesome. And at the end, I said, if there's anyone else who you think I'm a fit for, I would love to connect. And that's how we got together. Yeah, right. Because of the ask. <laughs> yeah, because I asked. I'm like, you know what? I'm promoting a book right now. I want to get out there. Who else has a great podcast? Because I trust your opinion. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love this vein of the conversation because it's so rarely talked about in the networking types of situations, especially with people uh, like me and you who are supposed to be always talking about the give and not really ever talking about the ask. What would you say to somebody who's listening who's like, yeah, that all sounds great and I would love to be a giver, but that's just not how I am naturally. Like, like say you're talking to somebody who's really a naturally good asker, like they would put themselves more in a taker category where they tend to use up their connections and not add a lot of value, not give. What can someone like that do to kind of change their mindset and get more into the line of thinking of being a giver? I think it's um, creating a habit for yourself. And it doesn't come naturally to think of offering. If you are sitting there thinking, I should do that more often, then you do see the value in it and you have a desire to give. And that's all you need. You just need that spark, that desire. And then simply add to every conversation a question. You know, what are you working on? How can I help you? Who would you like to meet? Pick a question and ask. And as a connector, you know you have an answer. Right? And, and they may or may not ask you back, but if you just start asking that question, you'll see more and more opportunities. The other thing I would say is sometimes people who are in that mindset don't believe they have value to give. Yeah, totally. Is there a way that you usually help people figure out what kind of value they have to give to somebody? That's a question I get a lot is like, hey man, I'm all about giving, I'm all about adding value, but I don't know what that is. Like, how do I figure that out? At curiosity, right? So first of all, just being curious and, and asking those questions. But I also talk in the book about the different ways to think about your value. And sometimes value to somebody else is feeling that sense of assistance, right? So asking for advice can be giving value, right? Why do mentors be mentors, right? I mean, you, they feel valuable. And so that is a way to contribute to somebody else. I actually have a mentor and highly successful CEO IPO'd multiple companies, and we met, I don't know, a dozen years ago before the first book. I think I was before my first kid, because I remember him saying to me that life is less fun with kids. <laughs> and I know you're expecting, so I'm sorry to share that. What he said to me, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm bulging like seven months pregnant, and he says this to me, and he goes, it's a lot more meaningful, but a lot less fun. <laughs> and you know, it took me a little bit to understand that, you know, and, and, it was something that stuck with me and I call them mentor moments. And so we would get together once or twice a year and we'd catch up and, you know, and I'd make some introductions for him and likewise, and we just stayed in each other's life. And, you know, a few years ago, we're at a bar at our annual get together. And I said, you know, you're my mentor, right? And he just smiled. He didn't say anything. And so a year later, I'm in his office and he had a sty in his eye. I mean, this is the silliest little thing. You know, those, those bumps you get in your eye and they kind of just hurt. And I said, I said, well, did you try a tea bag? He's like, well, what are you talking about? And I, and I told him, I mean, like, I don't know, this is old Jewish folklore. I don't know where it came from, but you, you put a hot tea bag on your eye and it will take the sty away in about a day. And that's how I added value to him, you know? <laughs> 
Right. That's what the, my main piece of advice for people when they ask me that is just look for an opportunity. Like you don't have to come in with this preconceived plan that is going to get you some result. Just try to get yourself around those people and then look for an opportunity that may, may present itself where you might be able to offer a little bit of value and really examine like your skill sets, what you're good at, maybe connections that you have that might be able to help them with something. Figure out one big thing, especially for like business influencers, is figure out how you can help them make money, market their book for them for free or recommend their course or product to somebody like do those kinds of things. And I, I promise you, you're going to start catching people's attention for sure. And even if it's not an influencer, amplifying somebody's impact goes a really long way. And anybody can do that. Anybody can add a comment, add a thumbs up, add a like, share something. It makes somebody feel recognized and that's adding value. And I would also, I love what you were saying about look for the opportunity. I also want you to look outside the box, right? So the connections and the invitations and information and articles and all those things are some great things to do, but sometimes you just those aren't coming to you. The same CEO, he was looking for a Superman t-shirt. And it was the time before Target existed in New York City. And I was living out in the Jersey Burbs and I was able to go to Target and get him a Superman t-shirt. And my husband dropped it off because he worked in the city. And it was like, he was looking all over New York City for this. Super- it's a tiny little thing, a tiny little gesture of effort. They can go a long way. I love it, Michelle. Let me ask you this question because it is the question I ask every single guest that comes on the show. So I got to make sure I talk about it before we sign off. Who you know or what you know, Michelle, which one is more important and why? Of course it's who you know. Everything is who you know. Um, (laughs) I mean, like you knew that answer. Does anybody come on and say what you know? Actually, yes. Actually, yes. Yeah. It was funny. You know, I, I crafted that question when I first started the show, expecting it to be like what you're thinking, like a tee up question, you know, like, Hey, who, you know, or what, you know, and then we have this conversation about networking because we all agree it's who, you know, but um, yeah, I get a lot of people who say what, so now I ask who or what, and then I ask why, because I like to hear people's explanation. Well, you know, I think attitude over aptitude always, right? So when I used to do hiring and I would talk to people about that hiring process and I would teach people who are being interviewed, anybody can learn a skill, right? Technical skill is not what makes the difference. The difference between an average performer and a star performer is their emotional intelligence. It's their ability to work with and deal with people. So it's those connections, it's those relationships that make your difference in your career. So it's not just about who you know, but it's how you connect with them. It's the relationships that matter. So what is your best advice for someone looking to level up their network in the next, let's say, 12 months? When you think about the connector spectrum, and it's what I define in the book, there's seven levels of the connector spectrum. If you're trying to kind of raise your game, there's two, I guess, axes that you can play with. The first is, are you a responsive or initiator of contact of adding value, right? Are you responding to people and, or are you actually out there doing some yourself? So if you want to move up, you're going to initiate a little bit more. And the other axis is the breadth and depth of your connections. So one of the things I tell people is to expand and diversify and be an inclusive connector. When you're somewhere, don't always gravitate to the comfortable place and the people that you know and the people that are like you, but look for the person who might look out of place or look like they are not as sure-footed in the environment and bring them into the fold and reach out to them. Somebody who, I don't know if you've had him on your show yet or not, but you should, Robbie Samuels. I was at a conference with him and I love watching him just go up to the person who looks like they need a friend. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. So 
going off of that same question here, give me one tip, Michelle. Like if you're going to boil it all down to one thing, like you got the seven steps in the spectrum and all these different tools and strategies and ways of going about this whole networking thing. But if you really had to boil it down to one thing, one tip that's going to help somebody become a better networker, what would that one tip be? I tell you what comes to mind immediately, and I don't know if this is the one thing, but I would always say, don't network for need and don't network for now network for life. Yeah. I love that. Dig your well before you're thirsty. Yeah. I mean, the network that you build because you want to, because you get to, because you just enjoy the people. Those are the ones that will carry you, sustain you and be there for you. Right. To me, it's, it's really like, it comes down to this is networking is not about prospects. It's about relationships, right? I think people have this confusion between the two. And look, I, like I said, I come from a door-to-door sales background, so I'm all for cold calling. But when you find yourself trying to build relationships with people, it's not a cold calling opportunity. It's not an opportunity for you to like barf your elevator pitch and try to get business. And then when they say no, you move on to the next person. That's not what it's about. It's about the relationship with the people, which is exactly what you're saying. And I cannot agree with you more. Where do you think that you would be, Michelle, if you if you had not invested so much time into key relationships in your life? I'd still be in finance. <laughs> <laughs> so not exactly an ideal situation for you. Yeah, you know, I I don't want to think about it to be honest with you. If I think about every good thing that's happened to me, there's always a list of people that I need to thank along the way. And I think if the listeners out there think about that in their own lives, they'll realize that they're already valuing and leveraging and relying on relationships for results. And if we are a little bit more cognizant of prioritizing those relationships, of investing in those relationships, then you will see you will get beyond where you ever thought you would be, which is where I am now. Love it. Love it. So tell us really quick before we head into the last segment where we can find a copy of The Connector's Advantage. You can actually go to theconnectorsadvantage.com. There's actually pre-order bonuses. I'm going to leave them up even after March 5th when the book comes out. And if you go to my website, that's the other place is Michelle with two L's, Tillis Letterman, L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N. It sounds like David Letterman, but spelled a little differently. From there, you can find lots of stuff and, and lots of ways to connect with me. Perfect. So head over to the connectorsadvantage.com to get a copy of Michelle's new awesome book. Highly recommend you do that. Michelle, let's move on into the last segment here. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions and quick random answers. You ready? I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Oh, I want to be Jack Hanna. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk with them for an hour, who would it be and why? Okay. Is it wrong to say John Lennon or Elvis Presley? No, no. I would love to sit with them, but I think I would just, you know, be fawning over them. If I really wanted to have a conversation, I actually would love to talk to my father's mother. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Experiential. I love to be in it, to do it, to see it, to try it. If it's a book I want to listen to it, I'm much better with the audiobook than than holding the physical book. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Oh, that's not pretty. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I asked the question. I like to hear all of them, the ones that are like finely tuned and the ones that aren't because it tells people that, look, this isn't the magical key to like seeing your dreams come true. So that's why I asked that question. I like to hear about everybody's. 
It depends on the day and whether or not my husband goes into work early and I have the dogs and the kids. But the first thing I do is actually reach for my iPad and check and see if there's anything critical so that I can then be calm in the rest of my morning because I know that there's nothing that had blown up overnight. And then I lazily get out of bed, feed some dogs, feed some kids, drive them to school. Sometimes I get to go to the gym and sometimes I don't have to actually start my work day until 1030 in the morning after gym and food and shower. Um, and sometimes I'm I'm at my desk at 7.45 before I take the kids to school, just trying to clean some things up to lighten my brain for the rest of the day. What is your go-to pump-up song? Cause I'm happy. Da, 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 da. I love That's Pharrell's one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What is something that you are just not very good at? Oh, there's a lot of things I'm not very good at. Um, patience is probably one of them, but I'm also really not very good at riding a bike. Awesome. That's a perfect one. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time. If you want to learn more about Michelle or pick up a copy of her new book, head over to theconnectorsadvantage.com and you will not regret it. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a fantastic time talking with you. Me too. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds here on Build Your Network. They are literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is a new term to you, or you've always kind of wondered exactly what a mastermind is or what it does or how much they are, how to find one, all those types of details, you are definitely going to want to take my free mastermind course. It is everything you need to know about masterminds in just six short lessons. It's 100% free. So there's literally no reason to not at least see what it's about. Just head over to travischapel.com to grab that course and start today. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.